welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Lord Commander Rob Logan. Joined in the studio today by the prince that was promised, Paulo. Winter is here. It is here and protector of the realm, Matt West. Hold the door. Hold the door. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, we are discussing in its spoiler-filled glory season six of Game of Thrones. This is probably going to be a long one, folks. So we're not going to waste your time. Just know that from this point on, total spoilers. We're hopping into the spoiler room right now. We're going to say everything, everything about season six of Game of Thrones. So if you are not caught up, maybe save this one for later and come back at a future date. But if you are ready to hop in with us... Uh, let's let's get a giant break down these gate doors as we enter the spoiler room today. Uh, one one help one one. Access granted. Welcome. All right, Game of Thrones season six, friggin' epic season yeah. uh, to begin with. And like I said, let's not waste too much time. Let's hop right into episode one. Uh, we see. As we left off at the end of season five, we see the dead Jon Snow, the presumed dead Jon Snow laying in the snow, found by Davos at this point. And uh, as Jon Snow is dead, Thorne reclaims Castle Black. Yeah, this, I mean... It's really hard to talk about the first episode. It is after seeing all ten because it just it goes from zero to a hundred to like a thousand real quick. Yeah, it does. so like it's super hard to talk about the beginning because it was so slow. Yeah, right. Plus yeah. you had an you had a basically a year between seeing the uh, the Night's Watch kill Jon Snow and him betrayed and stabbed, and then that whole year of discussion of people what happened with him what's the he's alive no he's not he's not coming back and and kit harrington all his uh misdirection his how, lies you know yeah yes. I mean, straight out them lies. yeah but i mean that's what he had to do it was terrific yeah. and and to get to that you know beginning where melisandre is there now and i know you'll get to that but it was such, yeah, such yeah. an awesome just a great way to start it absolutely jumping to ramsey bolton we see ramsey ordering miranda's dead body to be fed to the hounds showing little sympathy for this person that he had a relationship with i i don't know about little sympathy i think it's just i think she was on his level and could and they could sort of see each other eye to eye in mm-hmm. terms of their like vicious sociopathic nature but it's at the end of the day it's ramsey bolton yeah. we're talking about yeah. not like Somebody with a whole lot of like empathy for anyone, especially a dead body, you know, and so what he does with it is kind of just par for the course. And that's how you keep the hounds acclimated to the taste of human flesh. Yeah, it's like it's it's not like he's totally like, fuck this girl. I don't need her anymore. She's dead. She's literally dead to me. Mm -hmm. But like it's more like this is serving a different like a higher purpose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We get Sansa Stark escaping with Theon. They flee through the woods. Theon attempts to lure Ramsay's hounds away, but it's no use. Fortunately, though, they are saved by Lady Brienne and Podrick. Why do I love Podrick so much? I don't know. Because he's got that magic dick, dude. (laughs) (laughs) It's because, like, in the beginning, like, he was literally just, like, a squire, Mm -hmm. right? And then, like, the moment he, like, slept with those hookers in you know the brothel and everybody was like he's amazing keep your money it's like oh that dude's got a magic dick (laughs) all of a sudden he is like this he's like 
Braun, you know, like yeah, yeah. he's somebody that you can rely upon to be like sort of like a cathartic release in the, you know, scene because you it's like, you know, that he's a squire, but he's also got that magic dick, you know, <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, that's then he's effective too. Like he protected people. I honestly right? have to say, I've never been overwhelmed by someone having a magic dick, <laughs> but, but I, I don't know. I, Podrick's just a straight up nice dude. Like yeah. he's got no agenda necessarily. And like, unlike so many characters in the show, yeah. there's like no, there's no grain of evil in him whatsoever. Yeah. He's just straight up a good he's dude. He's just, he's just big on supporting Brand of Todd. Like that's his thing. Like I am your squire. Right. And this, this is what I've longed to be to find this great knight. And to learn. And that's basically all he wants to do. Learn to be a knight. And in the, in the meantime, serve for a great knight. And that's all he does. He doesn't have all these ulterior motives that everybody else seems to yeah, have. Yeah. So I think that's possibly why he's more likable. I don't know if he wanted to be a squire. But I think when he became Brienne's squire, he saw in Brienne what I think a lot of us see. Yeah. Is that she's just sort of this pure good. Mm -hmm. Like she's like the lawful good of Game of Thrones. Right. Oh, totally. Like her agenda is really just service to whoever she pledges loyalty to. Mm -hmm. And like that's in this world where everybody has their separate motivations, whether they be good, bad or indifferent. Mm -hmm. Like Brienne is just like this pure good. Right. And she's just she's struggling against adversity to, like, fulfill her promise. Mm -hmm. Right. To protect these two girls. And you see the emotion in her face when she talks about failing to a certain degree with Arya. Yep. Right. And so when she rides in in this scene and she's just like fired up like a bat out of hell and she's just like baseball batting dudes off of horses (laughs) and just like she is this like she. She is like Beyonce if Beyonce could ha- somehow fuse with like Batman because it's like she's she's a, this woman, but she's also so strong and like highly motivated yeah, and empowered yeah. like in this world where like all the knights are men. She is like one of the most effective knights at, you know, what she does. And like when she rides into that scene and she's just like slaying dudes and like, you know, takes the knee in front of Sansa. And yeah. Like, I'm here for you. Tell me what to do. Like, that is like your sort of like, oh, my God, there is some good in the world. Yeah. You know, you could almost argue that the power of her good even brought out positives in Jamie Lannister, who is oh, up 100%. until that point, you know, was this evil character. And yeah. she, you know, her influence brought out a different side of him where he became he went from being a completely unlikable character to being likable in many areas because of her influence and their relationship. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Uh, from there. We go to Cersei Lannister, who sees Jamie return from Dorne, only to learn that Marcella is dead. She didn't make it back. Yeah. I think Cersei is the character that I think she takes, like, her crescendo throughout the entire season mm-hmm. is probably the best in terms of its story. Because for a long time throughout the season, like, I didn't care about what was happening in King's Landing. Agreed. Because you see what's happening elsewhere, and you're like, why would I care what happens in King's Landing? That's just a political clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else is so much more interesting. There are dragons in another area and there are ice zombies in the north. Right. And a guy who can apparently see the future and, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but maybe manipulate it. We don't know. Sure. Why do I care about what's happening in, like, the lame version of New York City mm-hmm. of Westeros, right? But then Cersei, like, she's – this is the beginning of her buildup. I mean, she's had buildup from the previous seasons, but this is kind of, like, 
the fire in her belly is finally starting to to burn a little brighter because people around her are dying and that prophecy from her childhood is being fulfilled all her children are dying right and so like this is kind of like the beginning of that and she's also just come back from her like what walk of shame right Mm -hmm. so she's the walk of atonement atonement yeah so walk of shame that's something else completely (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure she's had a few of those too With Marjorie Tyrell, she has still not confessed. She's just still in the uh, the dungeons below the Great Sept. Yeah, Marjorie's an interesting story that I think got cut short. I agree. I think she could have done some great things, but for some reason, just, I mean, I guess because of where she was, like it became a, you know, like it got cut short, but I think they could have explored that maybe a little bit more. Mm. And yeah. I, I like that character a lot, but I'm I'm glad that, Terrell, like Lady Terrell, Diana Rigg, mm-hmm. is just brilliant. And I'm, I'm she's awesome. Her for, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she's a legendary actress. So I'm glad that her performances are continuing. But she's actually, you know, you've, you've seen her throughout making her own moves. It really is, you know, her political influences. Totally. But like, I think, you know, just from a, like a storytelling or like an acting standpoint, I think Marjorie is like a much better set or character piece for the show because mm-hmm. she's able to be that chameleon you know yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. she's able to play the game like that i think cersei was playing for a long time totally mm-hmm. you know before she started to lose control of marjorie's maybe her. one of the only people who was able to give cersei a run for her money on like the manipulation right and, and like she's able to do it so quietly mm-hmm. and yeah. in a way that is very subtle mm-hmm. and i think they could have really played with that in terms of moving forward but i think you know overall in the end she literally went from joffrey and seduced tommen and ba- and got tommen to want to marry yeah. her you know what i mean that was pretty pretty skilled the way she did that and well it probably doesn't take a lot for now no, yeah, no. to seduce somebody no but. no this is true but <laughs> but i mean at the same time you know when you're looking at the grand scheme of things she just slid from one king to the other literally yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy in Dorne, we have the ruler who has been killed by the assassin ladies. The sand snakes. The sand mm-hmm. snakes. Yeah. I just call them the assassin lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was surprising and yet not. Also, it's sort of like with when she killed him, that kind of killed the whole Dorne story. It really did. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I had really no reason to care. Like, I mean, the sand snakes were kind of like these peripheral characters who given maybe a little bit more time and a little bit more screen time, they could have built them up in a way that maybe I would have cared about a little bit more. Mm -hmm. That prison scene with Bronn where, you know, like they were sort of playing with him, you know, in the cell. uh, I mean, that was, that was a good bit, but that's only one bit that they could have used among many to build the characters up. So when, so when that, when the prince or the king dies, like then I have no reason to care because the people who, are in effect ruling Dorne are peripheral characters in the story. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like now I really don't give a shit because I don't know anything about Dorne other than the things that have happened so Mm -hmm. far. Dorne doesn't appear to have very much like military might, although, you know, we later learned that they sort of do, at least they have part of one, but yeah, like the red Viper dies and then the King dies. It's just like, what are we doing? And moving forward, we see very little, out of Dorne anyway. Yeah, it's kind of like... So this really does kind of end... It kind of, we kind of forget about it. I mean, albeit there is a lot more going on in yeah, the yeah, other parts of the yeah. story, but, and, you know... Well, I didn't find Dorne to be particularly interesting to begin with. Yeah. So... Dorne could have been better if maybe they kept Marcella 
in Dorne. Right. Because then it could have been more of a tension between Lannisters and uh, the the royal family in Dorne. But otherwise, like, like for example, the one dude, the, the king's uh, principal bodyguard guy mm-hmm. with the giant, like, spear. Mm. Like, that guy awesome warrior i mean they even kind of put it into context last season when jamie was like or when he tells jamie you know if you had both hands this might be a fair fight right like this guy must be a badass let's see him fight sure and then nothing i don't know i really did not like Some the missed way opportunities they, yeah dorn was just kind of like a throwaway yeah. I, I would my only thing with dorn is i would love to see more into play between braun and the youngest sand snake I thought that yeah. their relationship in just I know it wasn't really but in the in the prison I would love to see them encounter each other again because I I think that that could be really pr- pretty entertaining. Yeah, I like I, that dynamic between the two of them where there was such a sexual tension that I think with Braun Braun's one of my all-time favorite characters. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. I think he could really make interesting TV. Tyrion sees a rising problem in the absence of Daenerys and Marine and the masters have begun attacking. Yeah. Like the whole thing with Tyrion, like the best thing about him is like his ability to talk his way out of a problem. Oh yeah, and I think his his part in this like quelling the uprising of the Masters. I mean, it's it it was very much like a Lannister way of dealing with a problem. It's the only way he knows. Yeah, in a not so Lannister friendly environment, mm-hmm. because you have everybody around you except for Khaleesi, who was formerly a slave. Yeah, and you're saying. Wait, let's let slavery be a thing for a little bit longer. And everybody's like, no, right. what are you doing? Like, and this- it's probably the first place Tyrion's really been where he can't throw his name around and have it mean something. Or like talk his way out of it because the, the problem is so much bigger than he is. Most like, things are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was too easy. But, you Shame. know, like the... <laughs> Like the problem is like it's it's an enduring problem that is that has lived beyond the lifetimes of any of the people that are involved. Mm-hmm. So it's like how do you like he has demands from his side saying we need to abolish slavery, and then you have like this systemic problem on the other side where the economy is literally invested in the biggest problem with it. Right. So how do you fix it? And I think Tyrion tries to do the best that he can, but he's in this situation. And it's, I think it does very well for the character because it allows him to explore sort of the vulnerabilities of right. Tyrion Lannister, as opposed to just being like the sort of overmind of, you know, this, this like administration or sure. you know, the royalty that he serves. We jump to Dario and Jorah who discovered Daenerys's dropped ring in the middle of the horse trail left by the Dothraki. And then we see the Dothraki have Daenerys captive and are bringing her to their call while making lewd comments about her, thinking she can't understand. I love the whole exchange where the call is talking about seeing a beautiful woman naked for the first time is among the five best things in life because it starts off with it being the best thing. And then they start naming other things. It was a nice, like, little comedic moment in the middle of all this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Daenerys reveals that she speaks their language and that she's the widow of Khal Drogo. On one hand, that's good because they're forbidden to lie with a cow's widow. But on the other, she must live out the rest of her days in the temple of the Dosh Kaleen with the other widows. Right. This was kind of like a lull in the Khaleesi storyline. It is. Sure. It's like, God, just get on with it because we know what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't want any delays here. Like she's (laughs) she's one of like the integral characters of this game. Right. She's one of the, the lead contenders for the Iron Throne. 
let's just get on with it because she's not going to be a prisoner for very much longer. Right. She has so many things that can get her out of it, like a dragon, like two dudes who have been proven warriors. Like there's, there's literally like so many like deuce ex machina things that are just going to sweep in literally or figuratively to save her. Mm-hmm. So let's just get past this because this is bullshit. But what I think is important is she gets through it on her own. She doesn't go. I mean, honestly, the ultimate outcome of this is her own hands, her own cunning, her own planning to basically win over the Dothraki people. So. And that's part of the problem that I have with with Daenerys' storyline in this season. I'll talk about it a little bit later okay. when we get to it. It's part of the problem that I have with her storyline is that she has these high moments, but then like the rest of them are just like these like moments of it or like enduring moments of incompetence. Mm-hmm. But Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh Arya Stark is now a blind beggar in Bravos. And the wave shows up to fight her, something she says she'll do every day, smacking around a blind girl. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think this is one of the things that was big on the Internet, like after this episode aired? Do you believe that the waif is, in fact, an actual person or is she the Fight Club version or is she Brad Pitt in Fight Club mm-hmm. to Arya Stark? Yeah, she's a real person. How do you know? Why would she be anything else? Because so, okay, so there's this scene when that wave first shows up Mm -hmm. and gives her the stick, right? Okay. And they're fighting in the streets. But then there's a zoom out shot of Arya just swinging at nothing. Mm -hmm. Literally swinging at nothing. Because she left. No, she was there. She was still there. They were fighting. And the shot zooms out and Arya's just like swinging at air. And everybody's looking at her funny. Right? Mm -hmm. And she somehow gets away from the wave every single time. I mean, yes, she does get hurt, but she gets away. Mm-hmm. Right. And at the end, we never see what happens to the waif. All we see is that, you know, Arya chops the candle and we see like, where her face goes. Yeah. And, and we see true. the faceless man response to that face being placed in the hall. Mm-hmm. I had read that. I had read that uh, theory, the yeah. fan theory. But once Arya got stabbed and was yeah. actually had a physical injury, then I had to sort of look at eh. but yeah i, I read now that, that it was were, an interesting take on it but there were a couple tells that yeah seemed and if, to go the other way. if the waif doesn't exist then why does she ever need to disguise herself that's true damn it yeah that theory, <laughs> i'm gonna put that theory to bed right away yeah yeah busted no good uh john snow we're back with him and thorn demands that snow's loyalists surrender by nightfall and then we get the reveal that kind of blew up the internet for a while of old Melisandre. Oh, yeah. Easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. <laughs> just takes off <laughs> that necklace and bump, bump, bump. Gravity which, takes over. Which is an interesting reveal, but ultimately doesn't serve anything. No. I think, I mean, I think if they could flesh it out maybe in season seven, it might be an interesting topic, especially if a lot of these people who serve the Lord of Light, including the Brotherhood Without Banners, if that somehow is revealed to be like a consequence of something, or if it's just that the Lord of Light is a religion that is that old, Mm. you know? Like, could this sort of aging be a result of being resurrected many times? Could this be just that this woman has been around for so long and seen so much? I think that grants a lot more weight to Melisandre as a character, Mm -hmm. especially if she's been around long enough to see people come and go as, you know, Azora High or people or other priestesses who have like seen people and believe they were the prince that was promised. You know, if that somehow if they could flesh that out somehow and explore it, then I think it gives the scene or it gives that 
sort of like seen a little bit more credence mm. or is she giving some of her own essence to when you know she's either brought somebody back or when she had that that wraith that she created that ended up you know in what is her scene uh, is that, episode or season one right the shadow you know, baby yeah, right? shadow yeah. Baby. i mean is that stuff that takes from her or has she just been around literally that long and is this just a disc- show like a, an illustration of what kind of power she actually does have through the lord of light because this is what she actually yeah. looks like and this is what she portrays to everybody i don't think it's a throwaway i think they'll they can use it later i would hope so because I mean, they, they literally ended an episode with it like that yeah. was like the punctuation of an episode and i mean she's still around like she's been sent away but she's still around so we could see it come to a head later mm-hmm. maybe as like a flashback or something i don't know but we saw also like the other red priestess in marine who has the same necklace mm-hmm. and right so could this be a thing amongst the priestesses who serve the lord of light sure Episode two starts off with Bran learning to project through time with the three-eyed raven. Uh, he sees his father, Uncle Benjen, Aunt Liana, and Hodor as children. Yeah, this is like the beginning of Bran's redemption. Because mm. you, and, you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. How like Bran is kind of like, at least up until this point, was kind of like this throwaway character. He disappeared for an entire, entire season. Entire season and it didn't matter. And yeah. nobody cared. Yep. But like all of a sudden, everyone cares because of like what he can do. Right. And so it's sort of like the beginning of his redemption. And I think the character is going to become much more interesting. Although, I mean, every time I see him like crawling around on his hands, mm-hmm. like I just, I'm just like, fuck, just do something. <laughs> I mean, this is a fucking world with magic. Give him right. his legs back. Come on. I, I have to say, like, even though. Bran is like a, a vehicle for interesting storytelling, yeah. but I find very little interesting about Bran himself. Yeah, the, it's mm-hmm. like you never like his character is never really like super interesting. <laughs> no, but like the things that he does ends up doing. That's like the interesting. Absolutely. Part, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a vehicle for good information. Yeah. And uh, a window into the past. And up and now, I think it's been the ensemble around him that have been interesting. Like, he's always totally. had these interesting characters with him. Yep. But it was less him. He had a journey and he had a quest, but it was more those around him helping him get there that you cared more about. Totally. Bran is bread. That's what Bran is. Bran <laughs> is basically bread. Bran is a vehicle for other interesting Bran things. Bran is a Bran muffin. He is muffin. actually a Bran. He is. <laughs> well, I mean, Bran muffin. I don't know if you could put anything on a Bran muffin that'll make it taste better. But like like a piece of bread. <laughs> oh, know? okay. You're going with a wider metaphor than yeah. just something boring. Like you can make a sandwich out of bread. Sure, sure. You can dip bread in cheese. I don't know. <laughs> I agree. Uh, with Jon Snow, nighttime has come and Thorne wants them to surrender. The wildlings break in and the crows throw down their arms to prevent this from happening. Did this kind of like uh, reduce your impression or like the importance of the Night's Watch just to see like a group of wildlings who have no coordination whatsoever and are kind of like not really that powerful except for one one, you know, in a way? Yes. But at the same time, the Night's Watch never came across as overly competent. But, I mean, they kind of have this history, right? They've been around for so long. They're guarding this literal giant magic ice wall, right, you know, from right. the things beyond the wall that are the, you know, the the impending doom of Westeros. Well, they were, they were let in by yeah. a crow. They're, so. also, they're also an extension of the Lord Commander. And if yeah. you have a strong Lord Commander, they're going to be strong. Think about when Jon Snow led them mm-hmm. through the through the war, that the, the battle with the, the wildlings. Yeah. They held it off. Whereas it's showing like like Thorn was inept. 
Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't going to be a good leader. And that's how easily things fell apart. Yeah. With him. Splintered Commander. right now. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 They're just weak. It's a point of weakness. So yeah. overall, no, not really. But like when the wildlings busted in, I was like, God, the nice watch is a bunch of scrubs. Plus, they <laughs> one one. I mean, you have a giant. You can bust through. Yeah. But they didn't even put up a fight. Like one guy got thrown against the wall and yeah. they were like, we give up. Like, how well, that- I think they were partially confused because they were entering with other members of the Night's Watch, mm-hmm. and that threw everyone for a loop. Like, can we actually attack these guys when they're with our guys? Well, I mean, these were the same guys that stabbed Jon Snow. Yeah. And you've just seen Jon Snow back from the dead. Right. So, I mean, they're probably in a bit of shock. Uh, not yet they haven't. Oh, no. Okay. No, this is right, right, right before it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we go to <laughs> we go to Cersei Lannister's story a little more, and Tommen has ordered that Cersei stay in the Red Keep during Marcella's funeral, mm-hmm. which was just a little aside note. Uh, jumping to Jamie, he converses with Tommen at the funeral, and the High Sparrow interrupts and is joined by his faith militant just as a quick show of power. He always comes across as this peaceful dude, but always like with dropping a fist as he does so. Like, his last word always includes some sort of a threat, some sort of show of power. It's always underhanded. The, mm-hmm. These attempts at peace are always underhanded with something more sinister. I think in general, for me at least, the the High Sparrow and the Faith Militant were kind of like the embodiment of just a weight that is dragging the story down mm-hmm. in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, oh my god, like, they don't do anything. No. They're just a presence. And, like, people have, like... People are forced to sort of accept it because of this sort of twin pillar system of Mm -hmm. like the, you know, the royalty and the religion coming together to like hold the kingdom up. Or at least that is what people are so led to believe. Right. They're not necessarily a part of the game because there's no way anyone is going to end up on the Iron Throne from the faith militant. Like it's literally part of their religion that they do not lead. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they at the same time are trying to establish themselves as a player in the game. Oh yeah. They're huge hypocrites. And they, they got, it's just like the, their story throughout the entire season is just like this weight dragging the story in King's landing down. And then finally at the end, we, you know, we know what happens online. Mm-hmm. Somebody uh, took a picture of the, the high scepter, the high sparrow and put it side by side with a picture of the current Pope. And oh, yeah, it's yeah. almost uncanny. Yeah. They do look alike. Yeah, they really? look a whole lot yeah. like, yeah. I mean, the High Sparrow is a little dirtier. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Barefoot. In Everybody in this sacks. time's a little dirtier. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion Lannister learns that Slaver's Bay has been taken back by the slavers, and he insists that the dragons be freed and takes it upon himself to do so. I loved this scene mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. He earns their trust, yet never fully lets go of the fear as he's walking in there. It felt to me like an exaggerated version of how Tyrion probably feels all the time. Mm-hmm to uh, walk in to a situation with a ton of fear internally and yet maintaining that confident exterior all the time. This, I think, for me, was a an excellent scene because, one, I mean, it shows that Tyrion can hold his own. Mm-hmm. But also, two, it's sort of like a confirmation of another theory as to who Tyrion's parents are. Because we know that, you know, throughout or towards the end of the season, we learn who Jon Snow's parents are. Sure. There is a, or at least one of them, right? There is a second theory about who Tyrion's parents are because we know that his mom was a Lannister mm-hmm. um, who died after he was born, but we don't know who his father is because Tywin wasn't his father. Mm. And so the the prevailing theory is that he is also of like Lannister and Targaryen 
blood. Mm -hmm. And because the dragon needs three heads, so to speak, as they say, you know, in the show, that perhaps Tyrion could be the third head. Sure. And so we see in this scene that he's able to somehow, I don't know if he's able to communicate or at least just sort of alleviate the the tension between him and the dragon mm-hmm. somehow. Enough to release him, yeah. Right. And he just he's able to get close enough to touch them, remove the shackles and let them free. Right. Like it maybe he could be the third head of the dragon. And so I mean I that that was that had me pumped, at least for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I've always liked Tyrion. He's been one of my favorite characters from the beginning. I think that's sort of what everybody looks at. But this season just brought him over the top as just such a great character and he had so many great moments that it just i i i could watch an entire series just him mm. you know without all the different other stories mm-hmm. i would watch an entire series just about that character i love his exchanges with anybody yeah, like yeah. there's there's a lot of kind of lulls and downtime here and there although this season really amped it up by mm-hmm. the end but anytime Tyrion's in a room with even his court and marine or just one on one with Daenerys or anything. He's it's always just so intriguing. Yeah. A buddy cop show with him and Varys. <laughs> <laughs> I love they're, him and Varys they're, together. They're, that's yeah. what, again, that's like it's a great on screen relationship. And, it is. And the dynamics are it's like we've talked about uh Peggy Carter and Jarvis yeah, in, yeah. on on that show. It it's up there as like one of the most engaging pairs of t- people on TV. Agreed, agreed. Well, it's like two people in this world that are, for lack of a better word, inept. Mm-hmm. Right. You have mm-hmm. Varys, who is dickless, mm-hmm. and you have uh, Tyrion, who is like very short. Yeah. Um. There, you know, for in a world where men are treasured as being physically capable and rulers and dominate, like you know, the, for these two people to have so much power and to wield it so smartly is, mm-hmm. I think, uh, a driving force behind their popularity. I think. Sure. Sure. On a, a weird side note. Uh. I can't think of any other show on television or in the history of television that had three prominent male characters who lacked genitalia. Right. True. <laughs> three dickless dudes all in one show. Three dickless dudes. And they're all really important to the story. Game of the dickless. <laughs> Following two broke girls. Going back to Arya Stark, the wave attacks again and is interrupted by the faceless man who tests Arya's resolve, always kind of throwing out as a last thing. I will restore a girl's sight if she speaks her name. Right. And I think this is like, you know, we've talked about it before, right? How Arya's storyline, at least until up until the end, mm-hmm. was sort of reminiscent of a certain Cape Crusader. Which we'll be very specific about as we get. Right. <laughs> I mean, it. like he's being, tr- she's being trained in a way that tests her resolve. And I think the weird thing about it is that her resolve is tested. And then once she's, solid in her resolve it's mm-hmm. completely the opposite, opposite of what, yeah. right what you would think the result would be but yeah i like i like the relationship between uh what's the faceless man's name i just call him the faceless man because it's so weird to pronounce uh, yeah between him and aria it's like their relationship i think is it's almost the purest form of like a mentor mentee relationship yeah, yeah. because like she's forced to learn on her own, but he kind of sweeps in every now and again. And is like, reminds her of what her, what her duty in life or what her purpose in life mm-hmm. is, even though that changes as it moves forward. Yeah. But, and that dude, the faceless man is just charisma personified. He's so calm. I just, I, I could fucking listen to him all day. Yeah. Like, if he told me to do something, I'd be like, yeah. Okay. I will kill that dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can you just say it one more time just because I like hearing it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's all I need. 
Uh, Ramsey expresses his desire to storm Castle Black and kill Jon Snow, where he believes Sansa is headed. The news is delivered that Roose Bolton's wife has had a son, to which Ramsey delivers a knife into his side and claims the lordship. And then he sends for Lady Walda and the child and leads them to his kennel, where he releases the hounds upon them. Probably, I mean, Ramsey's despicable. This is the lowest he's gotten so far. I think this is a straight up savage, just yeah. like the mm-hmm. worst part of the character. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that it was a part of the story that needed to happen to totally. set up the final fight. Yeah. Because you want somebody to be super despicable, soup, just the personification of bad. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of funny because like Jon Snow is somebody that you love to love. And Ramsey is someone that you love to hate. There's no indifference between right. the two characters. Yeah. So setting up that fight for later on is, I mean, this was like, Sort of perfect, even though it kind of made me sick to my stomach because I was like, you motherfucker. Yeah. Like, if I saw this guy, like the actor, if I saw the actor on the street, I'd be like, I I need to punch you for that one scene. <laughs> but then after that, can we go grab a beer? Yeah, because you're super good at your job. You're really good at what you do. I, it's just that it's you're so good that I need to kick you in the balls or do something to yeah. you because that scene was just, ugh. And I'd forgotten that, um, that Lord Bolton's wife was the one of the daughters of Lord Frey, Frey who yeah. was of the of the the Red Wedding. Yep. I'd forgotten that and then when it all came together it was, that was again it was another one of those political marriages that mm-hmm. all right we're going to unite House Bolton House Frey now we're in Castle Black. And, yeah. yeah. It is interesting to see too that what we're like kind of like what you said Paul the way it's evolving. This is a world where we have so many gray characters and people fluctuate between good and evil so readily that by the time we get up to this big battle between Snow and Ramsey, it's pure good versus pure mm-hmm. evil. Yeah. The the gray is out of it at There's that no point. There's no question right. like, as to who is on what side. Yeah. Even like the the forces on Ramsey's I mean, we'll get to it later, but the forces on Ramsey's side are just like these gray faced dudes. We don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we do know who they are. They're allied with House Bolton, but we don't fucking care. Yeah. Anyone who allies with House Bolton is just as bad as Ramsey in literally our mind. The only face we see is Ramsey the entire time. Pretty much. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like he's the he's the literal face of this army and yeah. he's a fucking asshole. And then you see the other side and the other side. And he's psychotic, a psychotic asshole. Yeah. Right, right. He, he takes pleasure in, in torturing people yeah. to death. So yep. I think it was important for setting up the story, but mm-hmm. also just sickening, literally yeah. sickening. Yeah. Theon Greyjoy takes his leave from Sansa to return to the Iron Islands, leaving her in the protection of Brienne and Podrick. At the Iron Islands, Euron Greyjoy confronts King Balon on a rope bridge and throws him over the side to his death. So apparently Euron plays a much bigger role in the books. That's what I've heard, yeah. So for a lot of the show watchers, we see this guy who just pops up out of nowhere. It's like, hey, what's up, kids? I'm your uncle. And then we're just like, uh, all right, whatever. Right. Nobody cares. But like, you know, like my friends who are book readers are like, oh, no, he's a much bigger character in the books. He's probably going to play a much bigger character to come. I and, don't think he is. Uh, you don't think so? I mean, it'll be a little bit, but nothing like what I've heard he plays in the books. Yeah, like for now, he's, he's simply a threat to the uh iron throne like he's or not like, the iron throne but the the iron islands he's right. one stop on the way to the iron throne yeah he doesn't feel like a legit threat especially as we get where alliances are built yeah that his you know his his niece and nephew have have banded with people who are going to have a lot more force and we'll yeah be able to. Mm-hmm. and he's actually the 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 driving force behind one of my favorite memes 
from uh, Game of Thrones this season. So, like, you know, after he becomes, like, the king, like, he drowns and comes back. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, build me a thousand ships. And then, like, the pictures of the Iron Islands. It's like, your island has no fucking trees. Oh. <laughs> it's literally just like, you know how, like, the Iron Islands, are, they kind of just look like Scotland. Like, yeah. these, like, green pastures, but mm-hmm. literally zero trees. That's funny. It's hilarious. Contact House Forester. <laughs> uh, back at Castle Black, Davos approaches the Red Woman and asks if she knows magic that can bring back Jon Snow. I thought that was a really kind of random request to make. Like, hey, by the way, in your playbook there, you, you got anything for resurrection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of off-putting. Like, it was just an awkward kind of exchange to throw in there. But It's like, hey, magic lady. <laughs> yeah. You got some kind of spell to bring this guy back? Because he's a really important part of our story. And if so, why is this the first time it's being brought up? Right. <laughs> Ever. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But either way, she cleans up John's body and performs a ritual that appears to do nothing. Disappointed, all but ghosts leave the room as Ghost then looks up at John's body. He gasps and opens his eyes. Yeah. That was, I think for a lot of people, that was like the beginning of like the best part of the season totally mm-hmm. it was just like finally like our our like it's confirmation of like the last seven months of us talking about right. the show and kit harrington best liar in the business <laughs> i mean he's time and time again he's just been like nope i'm dead yeah nope i'm dead but then a lot of people were like oh maybe john snow's dead but like John Stark or John Targaryen, you know, maybe coming back. Like it's so much speculation around mm-hmm. one guy literally just opening his eyes and breathing. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. But all well done, well executed. Yeah. Episode three. He's alive. Yeah, he's back, baby. <laughs> uh, we go to Samwell Tarley. Sam and Gilly are in a boat heading for his home where he says she'll be safe. That was I, I felt like their story kind of dragged through the season a little bit. A little bit. It wasn't a huge benefit to advance the story in any significant way. For his character to become something bigger in the story, Mm -hmm. I think he needs to become a maester. Yeah, totally. Or, I mean, because, like, the training process of being a maester is not, like... You can make a montage out of it, right? right, right. <laughs> There's no Rocky montage we of like Sam becoming a maester. Like it's just gonna be like him reading books and learning right. things. Yeah. Like it'll be interesting to look for him to, to see him learn things about the past and about the world that we live in mm-hmm. that could play a role in the in the war to come. Yeah. But I think like he's almost like another brand. He's a source of information. But like another thing about Sam though is like he's kind of like Brienne and that he's like just a really good dude. Yeah, totally. Like he's a bro to the end obviously, because mm-hmm. he's, like, with Jon Snow till the end, right, until he leaves. And then, like, the whole time, he's just like, I need to keep you safe. Like, I need to keep you and this random son who I've adopted mm-hmm. safe, and I'm going to do everything in my power, including going back to a father who doesn't love me right? to keep you safe. Like, it's, like he's like Brienne, except, like, less capable of fighting. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, like, I mean, that's kind of, like, makes he's that much more admirable, at least to me. He's one of those characters where I think that some of the stuff that we've had to see him go through is going to lead to appreciation of where he ends up maybe in season seven or the final season. Yeah. I, I, I picture like a moment at some point, obviously he's not going to have magic um, being a grand maester, but in the Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf the white, Come and you know mm-hmm. he's in a, there's a big battle and all of a sudden you're backlit and he comes. I have a feeling maybe not as dramatic, but there's gonna be a time in a major. He's gonna he's gonna take part in something and he's gonna be a major piece that's gonna help. Whether he knows some history about something or his insight is able to give them a major advantage, mm-hmm. and that's where he's gonna come back and he's elevated himself to a maester status, which had always sort of been his dream. And you're really gonna appreciate 
how like unsupportive his family was and how, you know, his father basically told him to get the hell out of here. And yeah. and then he makes his way through. It's going to be some moment that's a big like fuck you to the lack of support he's had up to he's this gonna, point. Because you're going to see that he realized through all the crap that he went through and everything with the Night's Watch, how they all treated him, with the exception of uh, Grandmaster Eamon, he's going to come out and he's going to be the realize his dreams and he's going to come sure. out being, and he'll be one of those feel good stories. I don't think he's going to be one who gets killed and you're, ah, oh, man, now Sam dies. Right, right. Like everybody kind of just wants him to become a <laughs> wizard. I mean, at this point, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, nobody wants him to be a Grand Mason. Everybody just wants him to be a wizard. He gets, so he could just be like, yeah. no, I am capable. Like, bibbidi-bobbidi-boop. Right. You know, like, <laughs> the ice zombies be gone. I think he's going to do something pretty important, but I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. For him, I, like, I just, I don't want him to become, like, this sort of sacrificial lamb that somehow drives the story forward, you know? Right. Like, in his dying breath, be like, there is a cache of dragon glass here. You must go there right. and find it. Like, I don't want it to be something like that. I want him to, like, like wheel up a cart of, like, dragon glass swords. And He's like, figured out yeah. the deal with how to work with the dragon glass or yeah. something where they can actually weaponize it fully or right. whatever. Yeah. Like, not be, like, a sacrifice for the story. Right. Be, exactly. Be exactly. a part of it. So, hopefully. Back to Bran. Uh, he watches a scene at the Tower of Joy, which must have had the theorists losing their minds, uh, where young Ned Stark defeats two Kingsguard with the help of his bannermen. Here, Bran calls out to his father, who turns to find the source of the voice, but cannot. So there's some foreshadowing right there. I think this is like one of the better sword fights of the season because it did feature the Sword of Mourning, whatever his actual name is, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it was... One of the better sort of like internet sourced videos that came out of it. Did you see the one where like they edited lightsabers into the source? Oh, no, I didn't. (laughs) So good. But like it did, like I think a lot of people were just like screaming when they saw it because they were like, oh, this is it. We're finally going to see it. Right. And then like you see the sword of mourning and the people and like this is the beginning. This is only the beginning. No, this is the end. You know, and you get to see a young Ned Stark who we haven't seen since season one right so uh, you know seeing ned stark in any form is mm-hmm. like yes you know because he's kind of like the embodiment of noble good and like and that fight was surprising because like ned wasn't actually like he was not really the winner he right sort of right. just won by default because so, yeah. his friend shanked the dude in the back of the neck yeah like maybe not the greatest swordsman ever. It wasn't that legend that my dad defeated the yeah. sword of mourning. It was something his, different. My dad and my friend, yeah. my dad and his friend defeated. And yet still so true to life that history warps over time. Yeah. And the, the victors write the history. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And it was the biggest sort of like blue balls moment, I think for like people who read the books and for theorists, you know, when Bran gets to the step or like, you know, his father, Ned gets to the steps and then they cut away and yeah. everybody's like, no, no! motherfuckers <laughs> no. and everybody just lost their shit oh, they managed to make this string out over the entire which was season. great it was a perfect way to do it because yeah. it was brand learning how to to work and how to see the future and yeah you know, yeah yep. see the past daenerys is delivered to the temple of the dosh Kaleen, where she learns she will be put on trial for going out into the world instead of going there immediately following the death of Khal drogo even though she had no idea that's what she needed to do yeah. and nobody reminded her like nobody yeah. mentions it at any point until now there was no guidance as to like what she should do after Khal drogo right. dies it was just like uh so i guess i guess i just kind of roam the world yeah it's like nope you're supposed to go to this place yeah, and nobody mentions anything yeah, nobody tells her <laughs> of course do you think that they would have told her after she emerged from the fire alive with three hatchling dragons like that would be because i mean well, that yeah, was soon thereafter not. i mean yeah. oh i don't blame anybody right. for not saying it yeah. but, but still for her not to know it at all yeah. but she was not from their culture and 
the Dothraki obviously need to provide like yearly guidance as yeah. to what they're. Or that, Here's that, the handbook. That Jorah said nothing when he seems to be so familiar with Dothraki yeah. True. culture. That, that makes a good point. Like why? That's a little surprising. But he might not want to. He's so goo goo eyed about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he might the, not want to deter the mission in any way whatsoever. He's like Tote's friend zone with, the, with <laughs> right. And, and if and if she went and if she went there, then he would not have been able to follow. True, he wouldn't be in yeah. her company. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons we can write it off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Varys interrogates a woman in league with the Sons of the Harpy and bribes her for her cooperation, and then Tyrion asks him to get word to the Masters that he'd like a meeting. Yeah, this is kind of like peak Tyrion, right? This is like what he does. Yeah. This is how he takes care of business. And I I, I like that, you know, it was like sort of a, a flashback to how Tyrion was before, mm-hmm. you know, he became sort of, you know, part of this regime. But that was it was very skillful. And mm-hmm. I thought him and Varys played well together in that scene because mm-hmm. it was very much like, oh, we could kill you. Or yeah. <laughs> you could take this bag of money yeah. and fuck off. <laughs> I love the whole thing with Varys, yeah, where he's like, no, I just want to make people happy. Yeah. I just want to make people happy. And How it, can I make you happy? And like you literally, that's like the worst thing you, like this is the last thing you want to hear from Varys because you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you're right, exactly. He's the biggest schemer there is. I'm going to end up in a box at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Arya is back at the hall and learns to cope with her blindness while telling the waif about her list. The faceless man restores her vision at this point, too. Yeah, this is kind of a, a weird scene because it's like Arya, you can kind of tell that Arya is not 100% the girl mm. with no name. Right. But she drinks the water and then that's supposed to be like kind of like the, the truth serum. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not like if you're telling the truth, then you're OK. But if you're not, then you die. Like it, it's a or weird at least scene. He, it. it it's hinted that that's the case, but it might not be at all. It could just be just regular old water. It could be. Well, I, that, my impression was that this this well is full of like this strange magical water. Like if you're not. It is the one that they use to kill other people, too, right? I don't know if they use it to kill other people. I think other people come in and they're mm-hmm. like, I want to be one of you. I want to serve the the many faced God. And then they, as a part of their sort of initiation, they drink this water. And if they're not 100% in, mm-hmm. as in like, I'm not 100% ready to serve, then they die. And then the faceless men recycle the body sure. by using the face and putting it in the hall. Like, that's what I thought it was. So that when I, like, when this scene came about where Arya is like, you're not 100% sure if she's like 100% the girl with no name. Mm-hmm. And then she drinks the water and then you're like, oh, maybe she is. Because she got her sight back. If or, it is, if it is something that's dependent on the many faced god, then you could write it up to something as it doesn't matter where Arya is. The many faced god has a plan for her, and th- mm. this is part of moving that plan yeah. forward. Okay, yep. yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We can write excuses for everything. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to because the show's so damn good. Even though yeah. we shouldn't, we don't have to do as many as uh, we probably do for most shows. I think that's part of the fun of the show. I mean, yeah. like, if you go on the internet after, you know, the, in a new week ever, every week for the 10 weeks that it was on, three out of five stories on Facebook feeds or like on news feeds are about fan theories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so it's that popular. And, you know, you're in a, you're in a, a land where there are dragons and we've seen the Lord of Light create a demon baby, a shadow baby. It's created, you know, resurrection. So certainly the Lord, uh, the, the many faced God could have that sort of power. And magic so. is an actual thing it's that a thing. exists. And the right, dragons right. only strengthen the magic by yeah. them being in the world. So. It's just kind of like, it hasn't really been around for a while. Mm-hmm. 
with Ramsey Bolton in exchange for Ramsey's help with the wildlings, someone brings a captured Osha and Rickon mm-hmm. Stark to him, proving that it's Rickon by dropping the uh, direwolf's head. And this is the car starts, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was what shaggy, shaggy dogs. Said. Yeah. Oh. Every time they kill one of those direwolves, I get so upset. Yeah, I do too. It kills yeah. me every time. Ah, oh, man, another one. And like, I, I like that the car starts, uh, his sort of like speech to Ramsey. It's like, your father was a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that you know is a cunt. But guess what? I'm here to fight a war that I can win. He, he was, yeah, very matter of fact. I actually, even though he does side with Ramsey, I liked his character and yeah. how direct and unfearful he was. He's probably the first person I've seen in a long time that doesn't give a crap about Ramsey's reputation. Yeah. Like he just wants to be on the winning side. And right. He sees that with Ramsey. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was hoping, although we get, we get a different outcome later on. I was certainly hoping that OSHA was going to be, uh, the undoing of, of Bolton. When mm-hmm. when she was coming mm-hmm. on to him and everything, you knew that she had that the knife in in her inner sight, and I was hoping that in his in his lust he was going to end up buying it, but should have known, you know, Bolton's think Ramsey Bolton's thinking ahead of most of the people around him, and he's too smart for that or too cunning for her mm. her attempts. But I was I was hoping that she was gonna at least get a good shot in on him. Back at Castle Black, John executes the traitors who killed him and announces his intention to leave the Night's Watch, and with completely good reason too. I yeah. like, I I did give my life yep. to serve. Like now, I don't need to. Like I fulfilled what I said I was going to do. Yeah. I died, mm. and now I'm back, and my watch is over. Yeah, and it was, it's it's. This is one of the driving sort of story moments of the series, right? Because mm-hmm. like finally, Jon Snow is free of his uh, obligation. Mm-hmm. And also, he's sort of taking revenge on the people that, that made his life miserable in the first place. Because mm-hmm. he would have been perfectly fine as, like, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch had he not had to deal with the BS from the dissenters and, you know, within his own ranks. Right. And so, but then, you know, that all, obviously all got all messed up. I think my favorite thing to come out of this particular scene was um, sort of the fan edit of the Running Man Challenge. Are you familiar with the Running Man Challenge? Uh I don't know, actually. So, like, look up Running Man Challenge. Okay. It's basically just people, like, doing, like, this dance that looks like a running man. All right. And so the fan edit was they play the song for the Running Man Challenge in the background of that scene where they all got hung. And you know how they're all just, like, they're flailing like around. Flopping, yeah. yeah. And that's, like, the, the worst Running Man Challenge oh, ever. Geez. It was hilarious. Here's a question, though. This just literally hit me now. Do you think that because of uh, what Jon Snow had said, you know, my I, my watch is ended, my life... Do you think that that will tie in later on with the Iron Islands? Because what they're they're saying there basically is that which is dead cannot die. Isn't that isn't that uh-huh. how? Now, do you think that that'll ultimately be the way that he gets the the ultimate the favor the of favor them. of them? I mean, I've been dead. I can't die. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just I'm more because that's such a big piece of the thing. They like drown somebody and bring them back before they can sit on the throne of the Iron Islands. I'm wondering if that will influence their decision ultimately to to you know ultimately back. Jon Snow once uh, Eulen Greyjoy is out of the way. Hmm. Well, I think that each sort of religion in this world has like a a way of prophesizing someone being like the chosen one. Mm-hmm. And I think that they do it with the Lord of Light all the time. Um, you know, they were able to bring him back. The the faceless man, the many faced God, has a purpose for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the you, we see it later on that the role that it plays in their sort of religion. And when they crown Euron Greyjoy, he drowned mm. and he comes back. 
And so that sort of solidifies him as the, their sort of king. I don't know if that foretells a greater prophecy of somebody who comes uh, later on down the line to become like their chosen one. Or if that's just the process by which they choose their they, king. Their king must pass through. Yeah, them. like their king has to like literally drown and then come right, back right. somehow. That that shows his strength and bond with the ocean. I don't know. And it could be they might not care about John's death and resurrection because it wasn't at the hands of the sea. Yeah, true. And they, they true. speak about how how much there are sea going people mm-hmm. and that's what matters to them. And if the Lord of Light is the one who's credited with restoring John, they could be like, well, he's not our God, yeah. so we don't care. It's like mm-hmm. if, like if Buddha somehow had some sort of interaction with Catholicism, like, right? You know, neither side would really maybe care so much about the other. Yeah. Again, that's one of the reasons why this show is so popular. This is what happens Monday mornings at, at everybody's water cooler. Everybody's talking about yeah, it, these yeah. different theories. And did you see last? I mean, that's why I think that it gets the massive audiences it does because there's so much that you can theorize and discuss and just react to. Totally. Know? Episode four, Sansa, Brienne, and Podrick arrive at Castle Black, and I believe this is the first time John and Sansa have seen each other since, like, season one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Since he left for the wall. Yeah. Yep. So, huge reunion. Mm-hmm. It was a very, like, it was a very heartwarming moment. I mm-hmm. think it was, it's just amidst, like, all this cruelty and just negativity to see, like, two siblings reunited albeit for a very short time but until you know something bad happens right but, right you know it is kind of it's a nice sort of set piece in the greater story the way it, it plays out to their their delay and just yeah. kind of glaring at each other for a moment not glaring that's probably the right word but kind of in awe staring mm-hmm. at each other of they're actually here and alive and and neither one of them have seen like their family for a very long time right, right. any family right so. and I, I sort of get the impression that while it wasn't really developed or anything we knew of, Sansa was certainly, when when she was younger, was direct. I mean, she was going to be married to the king initially. Mm-hmm. So she had a higher purpose with, with her. You know, she was going to be highborn. And Jon Snow was kind of the family's dirty little secret. Right. So I feel like there may have been a lot of tension with them when they were younger. Maybe she didn't like to accept him or whatever. But now. And I mean, they talk about it. They at do one talk point. about it. And, yeah. and now it's like that, that first sight, I. I do have family left. They were both out there thinking that every member of their family could be dead. Mm-hmm. And it, you have that one piece. And it's like, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. You know, we have family still. Right. At least they have yeah, one more person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sansa wants to take back Winterfell from the Boltons, but John is reluctant at first. Davos asks Melisandre whatever happened to Stannis's daughter, but Brienne interrupts before she can answer, saying that she never forgets and that she executed Stannis herself mm-hmm. in a very badass Brienne way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just Brienne being Brienne, yeah. right? She she carried out her duty. Mm-hmm. Yep. And part of her duty was to kill Stannis. And I think Davos sort of understood that, mm-hmm. you know, just knowing that, yes, this is a part of a bigger game that is going on so i guess i sort of kind of have to accept the fact that you did your job and that you were the one that came out on top but like the whole thing with um the red priestess saying like mm, like shrugging like i don't know what right. i've been doing daughter. and then you know. walks away quickly yeah. mm-hmm. as soon as she gets an opportunity where davos is distracted yeah and that you know that comes to bear later on sure but mm-hmm. yeah very much uh is is hard to watch because you're like I know what happens. Mm-hmm. Like I want to tell him because yeah. he's such a good guy. He really is. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the Vale, Littlefinger manipulates the Lord to assemble their men in preparation to help Sansa. 
What a little shit that kid is. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Prince Robin. Or he, King Robin at this point. He's the Carl of of <laughs> this of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like you just like in the first few seasons of The Walking Dead, like nobody could tolerate Carl because he was just like this like just weight just dragging the group down and you're just like oh god can he just die yeah and yeah and this this robin aaron is like the kind of the little shit of this show like he's just dumb and he was breastfed for so long he's just kind of like this giant toddler in a teenager's body and thinks like, nothing of executing people by throwing them through uh, the moon yeah. door yeah you just want to like push them out the moon door and be yeah. like all right little finger do your thing like, yeah, yeah i don't care what you do just do your thing Tyrion and his crew sit down with the Masters to come to new terms, which involve abolishing slavery over the next seven years while stopping support of the Sons of the Harpy. Yeah. Grey Worm isn't happy with Tyrion's approach and insists that the Masters are more devious than he thinks. Yeah, I think, you know, this is that conflict we were talking about before, right? Like the people who lived in slavery are Mm -hmm. telling the man who is navigating this shit show so far, like slavery bad. Like (laughs) we should not let them continue. Like we have the means. Let's just slaughter everyone. Mm -hmm. But I think Tyrion understands that in this current regime, that is not what's needed Mm -hmm. because there needs to be sort of like a more delicate, deft approach to it where we can slowly phase it out and give them what they want. Because obviously what we were trying is not working. Right. Because we've lost some people in the process and we're moving towards a bigger goal. Mm-hmm. This is one step in it. It's a very important step. And from like a ideological standpoint, it is probably the most important step in, you know, freeing the city and the sort of greater region of slavery. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't want to lose too many of, you know, our soldiers because we're, going overseas and we're going to fight a battle that is going to be the driving force behind putting Daenerys on the throne. Right. I think he sees that, but like the other people are like, they only see what's in front of them and they're like, this is terrible. We should stop it now. Right. Right. So yeah, when you, when you're sorry, uh, when you're talking about a civilization that only knows one way of life for as mm -hmm. long as they can remember saying, stop that is not, easy whatsoever which is weird because that comes up again later too with Mm -hmm. something else and they're like oh okay yeah so it's it's weird to see it played out on two different things but it's like like weeds right yeah yeah. you can't just like cut the weed you have to pull it out exactly maybe to pull it out it's going to take a little longer and we certainly see the gray worm is correct i mean he said you know by giving them what they want it's not going to it's not going to stop them. They're mm-hmm. only, and we see in a couple episodes that they certainly do decide. All right, well, we're going to assault Marine now. And so he was completely right with his his take on how the Masters would handle this. Mm-hmm. That you know, you think you're bargaining with them, but they're really just going to use this to mow forward. Right. So I think, as far as a uh, a tactical standpoint, it really does, in a very small way, show how insightful Grey Worm could be about about war and about dealing with them. And while I do, I do agree that Grey Worm was correct. I still, I still think Tyrion, like that. What's, what are his options? Oh, absolutely. Like this was his best possible move. And I think this is all like a bigger part of developing the Daenerys Mm storyline because the Daenerys storyline is all about success and failure, success Mm -hmm. and failure, right? She has these really high moments where she inspires everybody with those worded speeches, but then there's other ones where she's just a complete failure and a novice at ruling. Mm -hmm. And so we see this like sort of like back and forth where we find like a solution and then a compromise, a solution and then a compromise. And then it's just each process is followed by failure so the characters in the process are like, well, okay, maybe full force doesn't work. Maybe complete negotiation doesn't work. Maybe we go this other route. Mm-hmm. And 
we find a compromise within ourselves. And I think that's a pretty good way of moving that, at least that story forward. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if they didn't want to commit to a full assault without the queen actually there, without without Daenerys there. I mean, that would be, Tyrion was trying to come up with a, um, a diplomatic way of handling it. If the queen was there and she said, we're going to do a full attack, then they would have done it. There would have been no question. Yeah. But I think, and it, he would have given her counsel. But without her there, I don't know that he would want to, take that big of a, right. a thing i mean they're all looking with faith that she is going to return and at that point then you know she'll come up with how they're going to handle things but i think in the meantime he's trying to find the most yeah. diplomatic way of handling it jorah and dario forge a plan to rescue daenerys and dario discovers jorah's infection at that point uh they're discovered by two dothraki who they are forced to kill they then find daenerys outside of the temple and create a new plan interesting way of covering up the knife wound too yeah. Well, they're going to see him being stabbed. All right. So let's just take the stone and crush his face yeah. in. Just like, smash him. Like the CSI and Dothraki is not very like, oh, look, face smash. He must kill by rock. <laughs> like, you know? Well, they don't strike me as the most intellectual or technical. Right? No, no. Uh, Marjorie Tyrell is brought before the High Sparrow, who tells her a story about his past, the whole cobbler story. He then takes her to see her brother, who's not dealing very well with being imprisoned. Yeah, this is like, I like this scene because it shows that the High Sparrow is sort of like a well-learned person. Mm -hmm. And you do have a little, little admiration for him because you see a little bit into his past. Mm -hmm. And then you see Marjorie sort of like tolerating it. Yeah. You know? Like, you know, that's not what she wants, but she knows that she has to deal with this at mm -hmm. least for now. I, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but when the High Sparrow was telling the story, I didn't feel that it rang 100% true. Yeah. I almost feel like he's crafting this narrative yep. to bring her onto his side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, he's a grand manipulator. That yeah. was really what I, I, all these people, you know, his whole, his whole religious force of, are all people that he's, he's found these people who were, malleable that he could you know bend their will and get them to believe what he believed and then would follow him blindly because they believed that that was what was going to ultimately save their souls mm -hmm. and i think he was doing the same thing he was telling marjorie exactly what she wanted to hear and what she hoped to hear so that he could say hey you know our our religion what we do is 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 right if you listen it will save you as well you can be absolved your brother can be absolved mm -hmm. and that's what she wants she wants her brother out she wants her brother's safety I think the only thing that he truly believes in is like the the seven god religion mm -hmm. that he's a part of. I think everything else that he sort of spouts is like a way of getting people to his side or at least to understand what he's saying. Because every time after like after every moment where he experiences some sort of small victory, mm -hmm. like he does that Jonathan Price smile. You know, mm -hmm. that sort of smirk, and you're like, oh, you motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. The, like, you just got one over every yeah. time. Yeah, totally. Like, it was not sincere. Yeah. 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 And, and this is where we start to see Marjorie kind of play that role that she's going to be yeah. playing for a while. Uh, but when she goes to see Sir Loras in the dungeon, I feel like that falls away for a moment. That, and when he sees, when she sees Sir Loras, like, that's your confirmation of this is all just the game to her. Mm -hmm. She's trying to get out in a way that is... The path of least resistance mm -hmm. by making everyone believe that she is be a believer. Mm -hmm. right? And yet at the same time, I also felt that it was uh, a proper motivation to where she might actually go that direction. Mm -hmm. Like she sees how much her brother is hurting and how much it's crushing him. 
and she's just like, I can't take it anymore. And maybe that's her snapping point. So I think it works on two levels. I'll do what I need to to get you out right. because I love you so much. Right, right. Yeah. Tommen tells Cersei about the High Sparrow's intention to make Marjorie perform the Walk of Atonement. So they approach the small council and plan to rescue them and dispose of the High Sparrow. Yeah, I like this scene where Cersei just sort of sits down and is like, I'm a boss-ass bitch. And everybody's <laughs> like... Uh, no, you're not. And then the, the mount, zombie mountain comes in and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah well, this, the room is yours. <laughs> and then like they sort of all just like, well, we don't have to stay. Yeah. Uh, the room is yours. And they just kind of get up and leave, which is like a, a smart play because, you know, they oh, are. Yeah. What are they going to do otherwise? They're yeah. not prisoners and they don't have to include her in the, the matters of the kingdom. And mm-hmm. it sort of shows while Cersei has this indomitable force in the zombie mountain, mm-hmm. she can't control everything that goes around her. And it shows like her power is waning by her inability to influence the people that are in power. Yeah. Even though one of those people in power is like her, her blood, son, yeah, is her no, like the hand is oh, uh, yeah. her uncle, right? Right, and right, yep. Even though that uncle doesn't really like her that much, but I think it's interesting too that um, since he's come back as the the zombie mountain, if you will, he's before he was always called the mountain, and now he's always Sir Gregor Cl- Clegane. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really kind of neat that they've taken away, they've stripped him of that like nickname, and now she it's just- refers to him only once as yeah. the mountain in like this entire season. Yeah. When they're talking about the trial by combat, and she's like, I have the mountain. I have the mountain. Yeah. Other than that, everybody was just Sir Gregor. Yep. Uh, Theon Greyjoy returns home to seek acceptance and forgiveness from Yara. And, of course, she forgives. Ramsay and Asha meet, and Ramsay kills her before she can kill him. So kind of what you were talking about that before. Although, I have to say, I'm not sad to see Asha go. I was never, like, a big proponent of her character. Kind of a throwaway character, at least yeah. in the TV show. So I think the only reason why I really liked her is because it was stemming from the actress having been in Harry Potter. Oh, and then, you know, okay. so Sometimes you have those actors and actresses that you like. And sure, so, yeah. sure. Dinner at Castle Black. We first see Tormund eyeing up Brienne. <laughs> and then the memes went crazy. crazy. Oh, yeah. I want somebody to look at me like Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the best. I, I love that. Like that whole interaction. It was just like, I think if you've ever, if you've ever liked somebody and they haven't necessarily reciprocated mm-hmm. that, that feeling, like you can totally sort of empathize yeah, with that. Totally. Although Torment is just like, a fucking savage. So he's oh, like, yeah. well, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how you feel he's, about me. He's, he's showing interest here, but he's not as blatant as he is later. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a letter arrives from Ramsey saying that he has Rick on and John agrees to help form an army and take back Winterfell at this point. Yeah. This is kind of, I like this part just because it was like, okay, finally we're moving towards that battle mm-hmm. that we know mm-hmm. is going to happen. Daenerys is brought before the calls. who will decide what will be done with her. She then knocks over the fire pedestals and sends the temple on fire, which has been locked from the outside, only to emerge from the flames unburnt. That was one of those big moments that everybody talked about all week. Yeah, ah, it was Daenerys, it was so such a big badass. moment. It was like, again, it was just her, like, like Paul said, she'll have moments where, like, for chunks of the season where she's just inept, but then she'll have that moment where it's like, oh, like, shit, did you see what she did? Mm-hmm. And now she's suddenly got this whole Dothraki army who are like, all right, you're a bad bitch, we're gonna follow you. And so many of her big successful moments are spectacles yes. that, that inspire followers. Mm-hmm. She has, like, these really, like, that's part of what kind of what took me out of the story, 
Well, she has like these giant moments that are these huge spectacles, backdrops of literal fire, and her mm-hmm. just walking out buck ass naked, being like, I am your queen. And then realizing later on that, you know, Marine is a total shit show. Mm-hmm. She hasn't done anything right. Right. And like, she's this inept ruler who periodically inspires people, kind of like upsets me about her. Like, that's kind of what upsets me about her storyline. It's just like, this just roller coaster of doing really great and then doing really poorly. Mm-hmm. But then it's sort of like it, it is a reflection sort of, of like her tactics, right? When she tries to use a deft hand to move the pieces in a way that get her to the, to the resolution that she wants, mm-hmm. she fails. But when she literally lights a building on fire and burns people to the ground, mm-hmm. she's successful. Yeah. So it's like, what, are you going to do going forward? Like, can you please learn your lesson? Yeah. Like you have so many things working in your favor. You have three dragons, you have an army of like basically Navy seals, right. Of mm-hmm. this, this world. Like you have the, the trained army and like just fucking bulldoze people and pick up the pieces later. She's yeah. going to be that ruler who needs her small council. She's going to yeah, totally. need – that's why Tyrion is going to be so important. Uh, Varys is going to be important. Uh, Jorah, all these people are going to fall into being super important to her along the way. Like use your resources wisely instead of trying to be the experienced ruler that you obviously that she's are not. not. And I think someone touches on it directly. I don't remember if it's Dario that says this to her, but someone straight up says, you are not a ruler. You are a conqueror. Yes. And that is yep. very much what she it's is. She goes true. in, she flips over the table, and then she doesn't know how to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, she just – she needs those people later on when she's picking up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Yep. But for that time being, just bulldoze your way to the throne and let's think about what we're going to do later. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting, too, to see uh, part of the internet's response to this scene because – Amelia Clark had been so forthright about saying she was going to reduce or cut out her nudity completely. Mm-hmm. And then there were claims of body doubles uh, for this scene. Mm-hmm. And then she straight up came out and said, no, that's that's me. I was I was naked for this. But then uh, there were other things, too, where she talked about how the filming went down. And it's interesting to know that just looking back at the scene, because she filmed it on a closed set. That was very small, like in front of a green screen. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, this whole scene of everybody outside bowing was like in another country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just superimposed them together, which is still mind-blowing in my brain. Yeah. I know where special effects have gone to this point, but there's something about that that's just still so crazy. Somehow in that like five feet between her and the closest person yeah. is like a literal ocean and country of like yeah. editing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. But before she confirmed that she did it, Mr. Skin confirmed that she did it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had our experts looking at all different angles. It's definitely her. If you look at where this lands to this. and You got to trust the experts. Yes, yeah, definitely. There are two memes that came out of this this scene that just I just was could not stop laughing. One of them was is Daenerys standing in front of the fire mm-hmm. with the Donald Trump hat on, <laughs> but instead of "Make America Great Again," it's yeah. like "May." It, it says "Make Vase Dothrak Great Again." Okay, because that's the kingdom that she's in, right? And then there's another meme of Dario and Jorah like kneeling before her, mm-hmm. and it's like, "Don't look at her boobies! Don't look at her boobies!" <laughs> and then you see, and then you see Jorah look up. He's like, "Damn it!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing when he looked up because he's he's the one that's clearly way into her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. like creepy yep. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Episode five. Uh, Littlefinger arrives in Molestown to meet with Sansa, who is furious with him. She refuses his help and sends him home. 
Uh, can you blame her? He was the one who negotiated her being with Ramsey Bolton. Yeah. Can't blame her at all. Yeah. Now, do you do you guys think that this is something that he anticipated would happen? This or, backlash? Yeah. Or is it maybe a sort of snag in the greater plan that he had in mind? I think Littlefinger is airing. Like, we've talked about all the master manipulators on the show. And early on, Littlefinger was a lot better at it. Mm-hmm. But I think his biggest uh, drawback compared to those who do it well is his lack of foresight. Mm-hmm. I think he's really good about solving the problems that lie directly in front of him, but doesn't necessarily know how the consequences of those will unfold. I think I I was under the same impression that maybe this was kind of like a misstep in his greater plan. But when we see what happens later on, and especially in that final, the final scene of mm-hmm. the, with Jon Snow being declared the king, mm-hmm. That look on his face when he's looking at Sansa, we'll just talk about it later, obviously. I mean, it just makes me believe that, like, maybe he just knew that this was going to happen all along and that he, because he's in it for the long haul and not necessarily, like, even, like, the middle run. Right. Maybe he knew this was going to happen and he just, he's part of that wedge that is going to drive people apart. Maybe. Right? So. Well, he's he's rarely about bringing people together. But it's interesting because in that scene where he's being sort of, like, berated by Sansa for what he did mm-hmm. his emotion looks totally genuine like I'm totally sorry yeah well like, that's because Sansa is really the only thing that seems to matter to him yeah like he's kind of like he is to Sansa what Jorah is to Daenerys mm-hmm. kind of like this creepy old uncle who's also in love with you mm-hmm. like yeah Arya and the Waif are training again and Arya seems to be easily defeated by her the Waif insists Arya will never be one of them and then the Faceless Man orders Arya to kill an actress named Lady Crane. This was interesting to me because as this starts to unfold, I always thought that the Faceless people were servants of the Many-Faced God. I didn't realize that they were just hitmen that would make a kill based on someone buying their services. Yeah, they're they're the assassins of this world. Yeah. Like that I kind of knew that just from like previous seasons and not knowing who these people are. And then being told by people who read the books that the House of Black and White is sort of this like guild of assassins Mm -hmm. that do the bidding, but also have this religion that sort of guides them through what they're paid to do. Mm. What I found really kind of interesting about this turn in the story was as Arya is there and trying to learn who Lady Crane is so she can can possibly do this hit. She's seeing all of the the performances of the the acting troupe Mm -hmm. and she's seeing – Things that she may not, she may have been aware of in in some parts, and some things she didn't know about about her family, her sister portrayed on stage. So a lot of the things that went down with with Sansa, she probably didn't know happened. Right, she's seeing them brought out, and it you know in some some cases done very humorously to the to the people who were watching. Mm-hmm. But she's seeing you know she watches her father killed, and all these and they things. make him out to be a fool. Exactly. Yeah. So she's. I think that this certainly also influences the turn of her, I think, her internal strength. She's always been a strong character, but I think watching these things happen really just adds to her convictions overall. Mm -hmm. She's seeing things that she didn't know happen. She's seeing events that she's going to put together are based on reality, whether they're – and seeing that members of her family were killed, that maybe she didn't know about, seeing that Sansa was treated the way she was. And I think that this adds a lot to her background when she's moving forward. I mm. think just because 
although it's a theatrical version of it. There, there, she's seeing events unfold in her family's life that she was either aware of, but seeing it portrayed in such a light or things that she didn't know about. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the play, too, I would happily. I'd, I'd still, I'd happily pay money to see the entire series reenacted in that format. That was, it was really good, yeah, because yeah. it's it's very it cool. entertaining. I just remember the faceless man's name, Jack and Hagar. So I think, like, I, I like to think that Jack and Hagar is somehow like this. He is this mentor that is teaching Arya to be who she needs to be to fulfill her her life goals at this mm-hmm. point, and sending her off to see the actors and actresses was another perform test. Their plays was like a test. But also like a sort of like a context to the greater story that this is like this is about Arya being somebody who she's not Mm -hmm. in order for her to get to who she wants to be, Mm -hmm. which is this woman who gains revenge for the death of her family. Yeah. But yeah, like I kind of I like that. It it shows that in different parts of the world that, you know, the interpretation of the story that happens that we see is much different because mm-hmm. we're in Bravos at this point, right? The free city of Bravos. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, wow, they really see the Lannisters as like these rulers. Like they're not, they don't see them as like these like totally evil people. Right, right. And given that framework, then it almost you wonder, was there really a hit on Lady Crane? Yeah. Or was that just to bring her there to get to know these people and make a choice? How strong are your convictions? If you find a person who you believe is good, will you kill them because we said so? Or are you going to rise above despite that possibly turning us on you? So, you know, like you're talking about this sort of mentor who sort of swoops in in that framework that it brings kind of a whole another context to that yeah. that whole storyline. Yeah, like I, what I imagine is that, yeah, there was a hit taken out, but there's probably all sorts of hits taken out. This is the one that was given to Arya. To test her, To right? test her and mm-hmm. to teach this lesson, for sure. Really, all Bravos is is just, like, the simulation room for, yeah. like, <laughs> the people, the members of the House of Black and White. Yeah. It's really just a giant room where they test their assassins. It's the expansion's danger room. Yeah, it's the danger room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in telling the Faceless Man her plan, she does express hesitation in performing the kill. So she she's wavering here, even though, like you had said, she made it through the test of getting her sight back, yeah. but she's still wavering. Yeah. Uh, another time travel vision we see where Bran goes to the children of the forest and sees them create the first White Walker. Yeah. This is an interesting loop in the story, mm. right? Because it's like it shows us that the dragon glass was used to make the White Walkers, but it can also end them. Mm-hmm. And it's like a sort of the children of the forest learning their lesson, right? Mm. Like if you have a pest or something, right, and you need to get rid of that pest, you introduce like a predator of that pest. But what happens when that predator gets out of control? Yep. Right. And then you lose all all control over what your initial goal was, was just to achieve a sort of balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think these white walkers, to see how that, how that, that is how they're made, it was kind of like, it was very interesting to me. Um, seeing the person that they made into the first white walker was very interesting because he kind of reminded you of somebody who could be a Stark. Or maybe like a car Stark or somebody, mm-hmm. some northern family who they just took and tried to make. Into I wonder a, if that identity will be important. I at think any it point. will be because I think in the books, right? Like again, I haven't read the books, but I, I talk to a lot of people who do read the books, so this comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I think like the the Knights King is supposed to be somebody who's tied to a northern house, so it's entirely possible that he's his identity is very important. Mm. 
I definitely looked at that whole thing as like the loss of innocence as well. The, the children of the forest were very innocent and childlike and, mm-hmm. uh, to protect themselves from the world of men, they, they go and they do this ritual, which ultimately, you know, it, they're doing this horrible deed that's not innocent and it turns to not only bite them in the, but it gets every, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's like, uh, if you want to go back to the Adam and Eve thing, you know, it, it's that yeah. loss of innocence and where original sin, that's sort of the original sin of the children of the forest. It's opening Pandora's box. Absolutely. It yep. It's like you get this weapon that you can use and then you lose control of that weapon and it just completely blows everything mm-hmm. out of like your control. Which could be synonymous with the fate of Daenerys' dragons moving forward. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, it is a song of ice and fire, right? Mm. So this is true. Yara declares her claim to rule the Iron Islands. Uh, some resist because she's a woman, but Theon stands by her. Then Euron Greyjoy steps in to claim the Salt Throne and admits to killing their father. He quickly gains the favor of the people, and Yara and Theon flee with their loyalists, taking a number of ships with them before Euron can have them killed. Again, build me a thousand ships on an island Where? with no trees. He does talk about them tearing down their homes in order to do so, yeah. things like that. Like but sacrificing everything yeah, right, to get yeah, there. Yeah, but there's still only so much. Yeah. yeah. How many bu- you're going to build a thousand ships out of a handful of houses. Yeah. Good right. luck. Right. Are those ships ships for mouse or mice? <laughs> right? Like what are you Little doing? Robots. Jorah shows his infection to Daenerys, and she commands him to find a cure and heal himself. <laughs> and this is where he also declares his love for her. Yeah, this is, I mean, Jorah, I like, I love Jorah. Yeah, like he's he's like the weathered, experienced fighter. Like he's is, and, and this crush that he has is just so it's kind of adorable, but mm-hmm. also really creepy. And like her commanding him to get the cure is just like you're just sending him to his death. Like, I mean, I don't know what you hope to accomplish right. because he's going to die. Right. I mean, nobody in this except for Stannis' daughter has achieved sort of some sort of cure or at least like halted the infection. Mm-hmm. Like unless he happens to find the people that did that for Stannis' daughter, he's kind of up shit creek, right? Like he's doesn't have very many options. Yeah. And so uh like it's I I want to see more of Jorah, but I hope that his death is somehow meaningful because mm-hmm. I know that he's going to die. I just don't know. Yeah, how. yeah. So two interesting things. One, I thought this was probably the most emotional that I've seen Daenerys in the entire series. I mean, she's she's married. She's lost her husband. She's lost a kid. She's given birth. And yet of all that I can remember, she's really affected by this guy's going to die. Well, I mean, I think that's important right because jorah has been one of the pillars that has held her up this whole time totally she's been his protector and then at the same time also been like the person that she had the most trouble banishing right she she cast about then he came back and earned her trust again yeah like he basically risked his life to show her i will be here i will defend you i'll give my life for you yeah and so he earned her her trust back after Mm. all that he is that guy holding the boom box above his head (laughs) outside of daenerys's window like this undying love that regardless of whether or not it's reciprocated, it's just that is his duty in life is mm-hmm. to love this woman. And I think part of it is admirable, but the way that he goes about it and also the age difference between the two, it's mm-hmm. kind of creepy, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, too, I did a, a lot of wiki reading in mm-hmm. preparation for all of our show notes and everything because there are pieces that are hard to find and some that I feel like the show didn't properly show, but the wiki fills them in to an extent. I don't know how they know, but they do. 
Uh, I'm sure this came up at some point, but until doing this kind of research, I didn't realize that Jorah's last name is Mormon, mm-hmm. that he's House Mormon. Yeah, his dad was the former knight, the Night's Watch uh, Lord Commander. Yeah. That gave Longclaw to Jon Snow. Yeah, like I know they touch on that stuff early, but just based on the location that we see him for like the majority of all this. Yeah. My brain always assumes he's from like those desert regions right, of Marine and things. Yeah. They they talk about uh, Jorah and his father talk about each other sort of peripherally, mm. like in different scenes. Like uh Jorah's father talks about him as being like, Oh, my my like shitbag son who spent all our money on like spoiling his like gold digger wife. And then you hear about Jorah saying, like, Oh yeah, my father is the like he he's protecting the wall. In the Night's Watch, he doesn't say that he's the Lord Commander, but he's like, yeah, my father's up there doing things with the Night's Watch. Sure, so, like, sure. You hear them peripherally talk about each other, so like you get curious about it, and that's how I learned that they were both Mormons by looking it up. Tyrion asked the High Priestess of the Red Temple to assist them in spreading the word of Daenerys' achievements, to which she easily agrees, as she believes Daenerys to be the Promised One. Yeah. So their opinions have changed. Well, like I mean, I think that that's a thing, right? Like this whole religion behind the Lord of Light, I think they're so spread out and diverse throughout the seven kingdoms mm-hmm. that some people will believe one thing while others will believe another. Right. Well, yeah. And they're not even aware of other people. Right. Like, they don't know that Jon Snow has been resurrected by the Lord of Light. Right. So there's a whole different belief over there. And it's so, all the same religion. Right. And so like they people can be like different people in different areas are like, oh, this person is Azor Ahai and this person is Azor Ahai. And I think. For Daenerys to be Azor Ahai makes a little bit more sense mm-hmm. because, I mean, she is born from fire, right? Right. right. So, but I mean, Jon Snow. Yeah. So. <laughs> but you know, Jon Snow. But you know. While the Three-Eyed Raven sleeps, Bran travels again and sees the White Walker army. The Night King senses his presence and touches his arm, leaving his mark and thereby making the cave unsafe. So this is the big moment, right? Where mm-hmm. we figure, where we see concretely that Bran's quote-unquote visions might not be just visions. Right. Right. Because he interacts with the scenery around him. We kind of see it at the Tower of Joy because he calls it to his father. Right, right. That's our initial hint. And you're like, oh, maybe, you know. It's coincidental, maybe. Right, maybe he just turned around for no reason or Mm -hmm. something. But then you see the Night's King sort of interact with Bran, and then you're just like, oh, fuck, you're like Carl again. (laughs) You (laughs) fucked it up. I I read uh, somebody had done an article online, and I don't remember where it was, but they basically equated that everything that goes wrong in Game of Thrones is tied directly or indirectly to Bran. So, like, you know, there wouldn't have been the issue. You know, he climbs up because he's chasing the Three-Eyed Raven, looks in the window, and sees Jamie and Cersei having sex. So that leads to a bunch of things. And, like, each if you follow each of his things, it, like – it gets people killed, and, and it, a lot of what goes wrong is all on his shoulders. Well, if you believe that the Three-Eyed Raven is somehow tied to all of the events in Game of Thrones, then it is conceivable to see how Bran might be sort of the driving force behind a lot of things happening, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if Bran can travel through time, and if Bran can interact with the the scenery around him, it is conceivable that he could interact with it in a way that influences future events. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you could, so Bran could very well be the motivating factor behind the Mad King going crazy. Yeah. Right. He could have gone back and whispered in the Mad King's ear, and all of a sudden, the Mad King, that you know, that Targaryen goes from being completely sane to fucking insane, mm-hmm. right? Just by Bran sort of like meddling in the past, and so that's where you kind of get this impression that oh, maybe Bran is kind of like this big powerful player in the greater storyline because right. he can influence the things that he sees. Mm-hmm. 
Jon Snow knows that he doesn't have enough men to win a war against the Boltons. Sansa tells everyone about the Blackfish's army, but lies about getting that information from Littlefinger. Sansa orders Brienne to ride for River Run and recruit the Blackfish's army. And as they're all about to leave Castle Black, Tormund is eyeing up Brienne again, <laughs> this time adding a little smile. Yeah, that look when you're 20 minutes into Castle Black and chill. <laughs> <laughs> Tormund, man, that guy is like my, like if I was, if I was still in the dating pool, Tormund Giants Bane is like, that would be like my, what is that? What is the dating app's name? Tinder? That would be my Tinder name. <laughs> <laughs> Tormund giant. It's funny how it was such like just little subtle thing. Well, so it's subtle, but just little flashes that they added in there. But those little moments got so much steam online. People love that so much. People are shipping them hard. Yeah. (laughs) Big time. Even though it's probably never going to happen. Right, right. Exactly. It's wonderful anyway. And you kind of get the impression that maybe Tormund is the only man that could sort of bring the woman of her out. Bring the woman out of Brienne because like even like they're complete polar opposites. Yeah. We know opposites attract. Right. So it's like. Now, do you think, though, that she had that there's been a lot of speculation that there was the one guy that she was sort of smitten with was Jamie. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, he would be like the one guy who could have gotten her i mean they sort of they throw it into the context of the story right like later on when she meets up with jamie mm-hmm. bronze like outside the tent oh they're probably doing it right now you think they're fucking yeah they're doing it right, yeah. fucking her right now i'd fuck her <laughs> Bron. uh the night king and his army have arrived at the cave mira keeps trying to snap bran out of his vision while fighting off whites bran wargs into young hodor within the vision which also results in warging into present-day hodor the Night King kills the three-eyed raven. Hodor, back to being under his own control, holds back the door as Mira carries Bran away. She shouts back to hold the door, and it echoes into Bran's vision. Young Hodor faints and repeatedly yells, hold the door, over and over again until it slurs into Hodor. Oh, it's so mm-hmm. uh, it's heartbreaking. It's so hard to watch. Because like he's just like this other character that is... He is just pure good. Like mm-hmm. he's innocent, right? And you like, see that you see that up until as a kid, he didn't have yeah, he was a big kid and you know, his mom yeah. was sort of like he has giant's him. blood. But but he didn't they mention it. Yeah, he wasn't he could speak. His name was Willis. Hodar wasn't his only word he could say. You know, and you're seeing him throughout the series up until now thinking, Oh, was he either born just slow or was he, you know, injured some point where he was unable to to really communicate better. But now you put it all together. And yeah. It's just so tragic. He's completely the, probably the most tragic character. Mm. I, I wonder how it all works. Like, it's one of those things that you can't, like, have someone explain out. Well, this happened, this happened, which did this, which did this. Yeah. Like, you just look at it and you accept it as it is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, does does Hodor go through his whole life knowing that this is his end? Or does it, like, all hit him at the same time, like he got an initial blast when he was little and then it goes away and he's just simple and says Hodor. And then like it all comes back around in his mind at that age or like, how does it all work? It's fascinating, yeah. but it's it's really uh, I-, I liked the mystery, even though I don't know if necessarily people were thinking that his name had a specific origin. There's a mystery behind there's why mystery, he only yeah. says Hodor. And I, I like the way that it unfolded. I also like this entire scene, like from the moment that the Night's King shows up because the children of the forest, you know that there's this, they're this sort of old 
they're like kind of like the origin story of this kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. They're the beginning. And then you see the Knights King show up and then you see them activate that fire magic that keeps all the other whites back. But then the Knights King literally just walks through fire. Yeah. Like yeah. his blood, like his shit is so cold that it just freezes the fire and he just walks right through. Like it's just, it's, it shows you how important his powerfulness is to the entire story mm-hmm. because there has to be like this sort of indomitable force and then an immovable object to counter it. And then just him like walking through and just like, eh, yeah, this three eyed raven guy that you guys are talking so much about, I'm going to cut him in half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like, it's just like to see his like power level, so to speak, mm-hmm. just to talk in Dragon Ball terms, it's like <laughs> way over 9,000 yeah. because he is just like, he just, parade through you just like it's just like this wave of like evil mm-hmm. like pure evil like it has no concern for the game in general he's just there as like a force of nature and it's like that was impressive to me and as somebody who enjoys villains like to me that was like yeah this is gonna be awesome like the, yeah. the last fight and they yep. really shot that scene after they cross in and the white walkers are have now gotten into the sanctuary where the the three eye raven was and they're chasing bran and hodor through the through that that kotla through it's like that hallway or through it's like a tunnel that was so shot like a horror movie yeah like the way just the way they shot it with things crawling on the ceiling and it was like it really i felt like it brought the tension of that scene just watching it my anxiety was like so high when they're because you know you didn't know it was gonna happen with hodor and then it does Mm -hmm. but it was yeah it was that was such a a crazy way of shooting that. It's the first time they really shot something like I would think like a horror movie would be shot, mm. you know, that specific angle and, and it's used a lot in, 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 in horror movies, but not so much in game of Thrones. So I, I was really that. happy too, that they didn't get gory with Hodor's death no. and it was left it to the imagination. To. It didn't need to one and two Hodor is such an innocent that to see that it would be like killing a child. Yeah. 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 And right. where it just fades to black, and then you hear him say Hodor one more time, then I got goosebumps. Yeah. You know, totally. How fucking upset will you be when he comes back as a White Walker? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. I mean, that happens, could, right? Yeah, yeah. It does. Right? I mean, that, I, I mean, honestly hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't either, yeah. but it's like a zombie movie, right? It, it is. The, the ending of his story is so wonderful, though. Like, you know, in, in the, the storytelling ending, sense. Yeah. That to have him come back, I feel, kind of takes away from that. I think that would anger a lot of people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, a lot of people after he died were like, he better not come back as a white walker. Right. Yeah. I, right. The possibility didn't even occur to me, but now I definitely don't want to see that. Within a week of that episode, my cousin, she had a picture of her bathroom door, and she had a doorstop. Yeah. That, and oh, she yeah. wrote Hodor on it. Yeah, yeah. That's just not right. Everybody so, in our office, too, was like, I mean, people, <laughs> like, there was a sign on the door. That was just Hodor's face. And then in the meme type, you know, it's like Hodor. Yeah. Hold the door. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, ah, uh, like every, it's every everywhere. Day. And now, whenever yeah. so you're just, oh, cause you felt so bad that Hodor yeah. was gone. That's going to be, I would say more than anything out of this season. And I don't know if it's going to be something out of the entire series. That's something that's going to get out through culture and become a thing. Yeah. Like when people say hold the door from this point forward. I think it's going to be bigger than the show. Like people will be like, oh, you're referring to something. Yeah. And people that have never seen Game of Thrones will be completely aware of it. Mm-hmm. Like they'll be they'll see that face and be like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I think it's just going to be a thing culturally. It's so simple. It's so easy for it to it become is. that. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. All right. We are halfway through season six at this point. So we're going to wrap it up for this week. 
We are going to be back with the remaining half of season six next week. So don't worry. The rest is coming your way. As we get out of here for now, final thoughts are something you would like to plug, Paul O. Nothing to plug for me personally, but, you know, of course, support the geek generation any way you can. Go to our website, hit the support button and do your thing. Matt West. Couldn't have said it better myself, so I'll leave it at that. All right. To see everything else we do, head on over to thegeekgeneration.com. If you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can like us at facebook.com slash thegeekgeneration and follow at geekgeneration on Twitter. You can watch live podcasts and gaming at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Night Angel. Support the show by going to thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Send emails to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. We'll be back soon with more Game of Thrones for you, and we will see you then later. Make it so.